1: all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder.
0: One of the reasons that I believe in a values-based relationship organization as the underlying essence of a company is that every decision we make is guided by what we value most and what we believe. And in today's overly commoditized market, Our values are what differentiate us. It's what helps us stand out in sort of that sea of sameness. Our values will define that purpose. Our values are defining that mission and that vision. And are we going to roll those out consciously? Or are we going to let them unconsciously become some identity that we do not actually have any intention and creation over? I choose to make them intentional and I choose to create them. Shared values help engage the employees and the customers. They act as a compass to keep us on course. Most importantly, though, and why I believe a values-based relationship organization is the key to success, is that values are the gateway to trust. And trust is the most valuable asset we have in any meaningful relationship.
1: Hello and welcome to Inside Out. My name is Billy Samoa Salibi and I'm your host. Through interviews and case studies, I examine how transformational insights have helped propel the lives and careers of exceptionally successful people. These major breakthrough moments teach valuable lessons that will help us in business and in life. Today's guest is Jolie Michelson, CEO of The Sun Company. I first met Jolie at Barango Solar, and then we worked closely together at Solar City, where she was the National Director of Sales. We quickly realized that our values are aligned and share so much in common. Jolie's a bold and inspiring leader that has uncompromising ideals and values no matter what she sets off to do. As you'll see in this show, Jolie's a firm believer in avoiding what she calls value extraction at the expense of her employees, her customers, her shareholders, or even her vendors, and that it could be a win-win for everyone involved if you're committed to the belief that you don't need to win at the expense of someone losing. In many respects, Jolie is a change agent and is building her business in a way that others should take note. On the show, Jolie shares why she's built a values-based relationship organization and why she believes aligning your values with your business is the most important thing an entrepreneur can do. She talks about the distinction between having repeat buyers versus loyalty customers and that the decision-making process is based on love and trust or fear and doubt. As she explores these themes, it's clear that Jolie's an intentional leader and that she thinks about the implications of each decision that's made at her company, which is why she threads every business objective through the lens of the company's core values. The result? She's created a bottom-line plus company that cares about all the people involved, where profit is the byproduct of the business, not the sole objective. Jolie brings this same intentionality to her personal life, as she shares her morning routine that's been so critical to her success and development as a person. As a mother of five and committed executive with a purpose, Jolie provides many deep and powerful insights that should inspire any leader or entrepreneur. She even opens up about some painful suffering that occurred early in life that helped her realize the value of forgiveness and grace. While also establishing her core belief that she's 100% responsible for the direction her life goes. This attitude and belief has driven Jolie to accomplish amazing things, and I'm so excited to share her approach to life and business on this episode of Inside Out. Right. Well, Jolie Michelson, I am absolutely thrilled to have you on the show. You are somebody that I have an enormous amount of respect for. We got the opportunity to first meet back in the early days when we both got started in the solar industry at Varango Solar. And then we both found ourselves at Solar City, which then led to Tesla. And we've just maintained our connection because I think we just have a mutual respect for one another. I really got to know you quite well when you took on a new role at Solar City uh leading up a whole really project for Toby Corey which I'll let you share the details of that but what we found ourselves working on was the culture piece and getting aligned with values and compensation and a whole host of things that I think we just started to look at each other and be like wow we really are aligned and in sync with how we should approach and tackle these important initiatives and so For those that don't know you, who haven't got a chance to meet you, I'd love to really uncover your history, your story, and and what you've done, both leading up to the Varango days when I first met you. And then maybe you could share a little bit of your experience at Varango, at Solar City, and of course, finally, as you transitioned out of Tesla and, and into what you're doing now, which is so, so exciting, which you're now the CEO of The Sun Company. The company is absolutely positioned extraordinarily well to take advantage of this movement happening in the energy space. And you have some really innovative ways that you're approaching this. And I just got to say, I'm so, so, so impressed by everything you're doing. And aside from everything that I've just mentioned, you're just a great person and the type of person that I want to be around. So first, let me say welcome to the show.
0: Thank you, Billy. Thank you for all those kind words. I really appreciate it. I've enjoyed all of my time that I've had working with you. And I appreciate that you invited me to come here and talk today. I think one of the things that motivates me in getting up every day and in life is giving back and serving with the gifts that we have. And so I just really see it as a tremendous honor to be on your show and to have the opportunity to share my journey in hopes that it inspires somebody else and moves them forward.
1: Thank you. Well, I can speak on behalf of of the audience that we're excited to learn and to hear about your experiences, about your insights. The the purpose and intention behind this show is to really discover the insights that individuals have on the road to success, which it is a journey. It's not a destination. And we're always learning. (laughs) That's one of the insights. (laughs) That's one of the insights. (laughs) Exactly. Let's start with your story. Let's hear a little bit about kind of what led you to where you're at today. And and then we'll go from there.
0: Well, this might take up the whole time. Are you sure you want to hear my whole story?
1: <laughs> uh, absolutely. But...
0: <laughs> You know, everybody kind of has their story, right? Once you get into the corporate world, and you start talking to people, you kind of got to have your story. It's almost like if you're religious, you got to have your testimony. You got to have your story if you're in the corporate world. And my story couldn't start without me saying, you know, I'm from the Midwest. I grew up in a small town of 10,000 people where I really learned and grew into the values that I hold today and grew into the idea that values were the most important thing, whether it was in my personal life or my professional life and some of those values that i learned there growing up in this small town was just work ethic and integrity and non-judgmentalness and somehow in that space also i think sometimes you're born with certain characteristics and i grew up in a house that was very type a perfectionist and i married all of that with those values into high performance standards and high expectations and From there, I always I was a change agent that made me a change agent because whenever I would look at something, I wouldn't if it was broken, I would say, how do I fix it? If it was good, I would say, how do I make it great? If it was great, I would say, how do I make it better? And that came from those values of work ethic and integrity and high standards and never really judging it and always looking at it as a process and a journey instead of a destination. And so I grew up there, but I had my sights on bigger things. And I told my parents from the time I was eight years old that I would move to Southern California and I would go to Pepperdine. And And I, as a kid, I knew myself as a change agent. And I said, how can I reach the most people? How can I reach people at a greater scale than what I can do here in this little town in Missouri? And I thought it was through being an actress or through being on television, because those were the things I saw where when I would go to a movie, I would think, man, think about all the people watching right. this and what an impact that's having on their lives. And so I was one of those little starstruck girls at eight years old that said, mom and dad, I'm you know, loading up the wagon at 19 and I'm going to be out of here and you watch me. And Sure enough, at, uh, at 19, I loaded up the Honda Accord and waved goodbye to my parents and set off across the West to those wide open spaces, as the Dixie Chicks talk about. <laughs> and, uh, and I went to Chapman University in Orange. I didn't end up at Pepperdine, although I looked at it, but I went to Chapman University in Orange. I graduated with a degree in film and television because one of the other values you take away from the Midwest is practicality. And I wasn't, I'd always heard the stories about you, you know, you don't want to try to be an actress for 20 years and then just end up being a waitress with nothing to fall back on. So I knew I needed a college education of something practical. And so I wanted, and I've also been the type that I wanted to understand everything that was going on in a particular space. I didn't want to, in a conversation, whether it would be about making movies or television, I didn't want to be the person on one side of the camera, not understanding what was going on in the other. So I pursued the degree in film and television with an emphasis in broadcast journalism. Got out of school and did some broadcasting, did some television, doing the weather for the city of Anaheim when El Nino was really? was happening that year. Hosted a show called The Economic Journal of Orange County. And th- it was fun. And I enjoyed it, but it really, there was something missing for me in that space. I didn't love it as much as I thought I would, which is how a lot of people I think end up uh, after they pursue a certain degree out of school. I enjoyed it, but I felt more business-minded. I felt like uh, I had more to do it from a business side. And honestly, a film and television degree is truly a business degree when you think about it, because when you're producing any type of show, you're taking every functional area of a business and you're condensing it down into just a, a shorter Time frame, right? There's not the long horizon that you have in a, a company or a corporation, but there's definitely um, all the same functional areas that you have to become an expert at. So I really felt like the film and television degree was like a business degree more than anything. The unique part of sort of my journey in that particular time frame is that I put myself through college working for Estee Lauder Corporation. And I was very successful doing that. I ended up being a what you would consider like an internal business consultant for them. And, you know, for people who don't know much about that space, it's a very complex joint venture typically between Estee Lauder and their partners, which are the Nordstrom's and the Macy's and the Dillard's and all of that of the world. And they divide up all those functional areas and each one has a different responsibility in that space to prove success. And they have extremely high growth curves or they did back then 20% quarter over quarter usually. And so my job was to go into underperforming facilities and figure out what was happening and how do we fix it. That's perfect. And how to, whether that was product development or whatever. And so I became the fixer early on in my career, which is a nickname that's kind of stuck with me over the years. And so during that time, I had a unique encounter and it was a unique time in the healthcare world where they were trying to transition healthcare from more of a customer oriented space. So taking a patient to a customer moving it into more of that retail-friendly environment. And that's why now when you go into your dental offices or you go into your doctor's offices, there are these beautiful spa-like atmospheres because healthcare was making a transition from clinical to more customer retail-oriented type spaces in a lot of ways. And so I had a doctor approach me and said, I would love for you to come and take all the things you've learned while being at Estee Lauder, which, you know, in a billion-dollar industry, $100 billion industry, um, I'd love for you to come take all those things you learned and show us how to create these outpatient healthcare facilities where people feel like they're having a retail experience versus a clinical healthcare experience and so we wanted to marry those together so i took that first facility on and basically i my phone didn't stop ringing mm-hmm. from there on out because healthcare was really making that transition but not only that i had the business acumen to really take some, two pieces, three pieces of a puzzle and put them together. And so I ended up partnering with Siemens Medical and GE Med Systems. And basically what I would do is I would take hospitals and doctors and bring them into joint ventures to develop outpatient health care facilities like diagnostic imaging and ambulatory surgery centers. And so I would do everything from help them find the, the land to help them do the PPMs to help them hire and train staff and manage them for a few years after, after we got them set up. And then I realized that I wanted to take a foray into ownership of those facilities. And ultimately, I ended my healthcare career in 2007, but ended up owning and operating my own outpatient healthcare facilities. And what I learned during that time was, again, what's been happening over my life as it is for everybody as they mature in their careers is you learn really where things align with who you are as a person and where they don't and one of the things that and one of the reasons that i left healthcare is i recognize that a sick system which is what we have in the united mm. states we have a sick system instead of a well system didn't align with my values I spent about a year towards the end of my career deciding if there was something that I could create and do another company, another organization or business that I could create to try to help move that needle and change things in that space. And ultimately, I decided that it was too entrenched at the time and that I knew something big needed to happen and occur on a political level in order for that transition to begin. I think we saw that a few years after that under Obama when Obamacare became in effect. That was sort of what I call, whether you agree or disagree with Obamacare, that was sort of the cog in the wheel of starting to change the sick system, what I hope will eventually become a well system. So I ultimately got out of that space. And after I left there, I took a chief strategy officer role for a year, partnering nonprofits with for-profits for these large-scale cause marketing campaigns. And that was fun, but I knew I was going to do something else with sort of what I called when I grew up the second time around in my (laughs) career. But I had five little kids at the time and I wasn't really up to starting another company. I said, you know, there's probably a company out there that could use my skills and we could grow something together. And I didn't know what it was, but I came across renewables, and I feel like I had that moment where it's like when you meet your spouse, or at least for some, and me, when I met my spouse, I just kind of knew that I was going to marry that person, and I knew when I came across renewables, although I knew very little about it, it just spoke to me, and I knew that that was where I was going to be for the remainder of my career in the corporate world until maybe I made a foray into politics, you know, in my older years. But um, I knew that's where I was going to be. And so one of the things, as I mentioned earlier, it's very important for me to understand all aspects of something that I take on. And I really didn't know the renewable space that well, but instinctively I knew it was the future. And so I wanted to learn it from the ground up. And so I made a few phone calls to some companies that were hiring and ultimately that's where you and I first crossed paths. I called a company called Varango, and I said, Hey, this is my background. I think I spoke to Dave Booth when I called in there, which is funny.
1: I was just talking about Dave Booth today, as a matter of fact, with Martin Wiley, who now uh, is (laughs) over at Sunrun. But yeah, yeah, that's awesome.
0: So I think Dave answered and we talked first and I just told him about my background and I said, Hey, I'm interested in coming in there and learning, you know, what do you have for me? And of course, I think Dave was overseeing inside something at the time. And he said, come in and get on the phone. We didn't, yeah, come on in. And so I went in and I did their Solar Academy, which I thought was probably the best thing You know that Varango did was that Solar Academy, which I think you had a, a big hand in, right?
1: It definitely was something. nice. I got to give credit to Emmett Summers for originally coming yes. up with the concept. But we put a lot of effort into making sure that the onboarding of new hires was comprehensive and really set them up for success. And I, and so I was set up for success when I started, when Emmett taught me personally and, and the other people in the class. And then, yeah, I was able to pay it forward when I was given the opportunity to lead training at Barango.
0: Yeah. And, and I felt that that was just a, a really phenomenal thing that you guys created there during that onboarding process and was so helpful for me for somebody coming in who didn't have a lot of knowledge, but who instinctively knew this was where they wanted to be and knew this was the future. And perhaps even knew that I would start a company again someday in that space. That that was just such a wonderful initiation into it. I was the only, I think, woman in the class at the time. I definitely scored the highest in the class of all those guys. I just have to say it while I have the opportunity. I love it. uh, I love it. (laughs) And so I set out uh, on the phones talking to people about solar. And that was such a wonderful opportunity to just really Get into the specifics and the details and the ground level understanding of the end user of solar, or the what you know if you're in a more commercialized space, you call it the off taker, but in a residential space, you call it the end user. And it was just really a wonderful opportunity. And still today, the my my most favorite part about this business is talking to those customers and helping them understanding their options, which that's the biggest part of this industry still is educating people on their options and what they can do and what they can accomplish and how they can be energy independent and energy secure and have lower cost power. It's just a really exciting thing to be a part of. And that was what I got to do at Varengo. And so I became fairly successful at Varango. I think the only person to taught me was Ken Casey, which I'm sure you remember Ken Casey as well. Blast of course, from the past. yeah.
1: Is he at Sunrun too? No, I think he started his own thing. And I'm I... Think he's doing fairly well. So he was definitely a uh, top, top, top performer and was tough to beat. So, yeah, (laughs) for sure.
0: He was. He was. And Ken was such a great, I found Ken to be an inspiration, quite honestly, because his enthusiasm was just, it never wavered. No matter what was happening in that guy's life, his enthusiasm never wavered. And so I found that very inspirational and almost like a turning point for me, really, in how I looked at the world in a lot of ways, because we all have days where we're challenged and, and it's hard sometimes to keep moving things forward in that way. But Ken just really always hit it out of the park in that regard. He was just always so fired up and enthusiastic. So thank you, Kid Casey. If you ever listen to this, uh, no, you'll hear me. Lo- love you. the shout
1: out. Yeah, no, he's, he was definitely, uh, enthusiasm is a great way to describe him. There's very few people that exuded that kind of just unbridled enthusiasm, no matter what was happening. the His no personal what. world could be turned upside down. I don't know if it was, but it could be. He would never show it.
0: Never show it. And it, it wasn't, you know, I think some people come in with that enthusiasm, but Ken could maintain it, like you said, day in and That's day right. out and day in and hour in and hour out. Unwavering. Unwavering. Yeah. It was wonderful. So anyway, and then I, you know, I ultimately left Verengo, and for various reasons but ultimately ended up finding my way being recruited by Solar City and the thing that I think as we get into the other questions and sort of my story I was very fortunate to have success at, at Solar City and wind up as the national director of sales but the thing that contributed to my success is ultimately the thing that contributed to me starting this company and also leaving a lot of these companies in that space and that was just that I believe your values and aligning those values with the business that you do is the most important thing in creating your success and creating a long-term viability for you personally and for your organization. And I kept running up against that in the companies that I was working for. And so I knew it was time after I'd reached a certain level of success and wasn't seeing those practices that I was bringing to the table, although they loved my success, they loved those ideas, those practices weren't being adopted on a mass scale in those organizations. And so I continued to grow my skill set to the point that I knew I was ready to start another company. And that's when I left and started The Sun Company.
1: Fantastic. And I want to dig in on on what you just talked about, specifically on how to align the values and, and make sure that they are representative of the type of company you want to build. Because to me, this is one of the most, I would say, important, as you just said, is one of the most important areas that often gets overlooked because people are so focused on the operational side of things or sales or marketing and, or product. And, and then they forget that at its core, the company needs to stand for something and the company needs to have an identity that the employees believe in, they feel and they connect with. And uh, you've done a, a fantastic job of doing that with the Sun Company. And I know just how important it is to you because of the conversations we've had. So why don't we dive in on in that realm and just talk a little bit about what, what was most important to you as you started to build and create the culture, including the company values for the Sun Company?
0: So I think the first thing is to talk about, so this is what I find when I get into spaces where I'm trying to help companies make the transition to a values-based relationship organization, I think you have to go back to the root of understanding. Ultimately, it comes back to humanity, but I don't know if we'll take it that deep. We'll just take it back. Oh, to the I'm, I'm all in. So. We go to
1: humanity. Let's, let's.
0: <laughs> but when you talk about a company or a corporation, that's just a group of people that's a collective group of people that takes on an identity whether you con- whether you craft and create the identity consciously or you let it evolve unconsciously that will be the difference in having a successful culture in an organization or not and so when you understand that your corporation your company is going to have an identity what you have to understand about that identity is it's two there's two components to it there's the essence of it the intangibles and then there's the tangible side of it which is the operations side that you were talking about earlier and so you have to lay the foundation of understanding that there's an essence to it to begin with you have to want to understand that essence you have to want to create and craft that essence and so you have to ask some introspective questions with what do i believe is the most important aspect of the essence of this company what am i trying to accomplish and how can it serve the community beyond the tangible product and service that it's offering. And so one of the reasons that I believe in a values-based relationship organization as the underlying essence of a company is that every decision we make is guided by what we value most and what we believe. And in today's overly commoditized market, our values are what differentiate us. It's what helps us stand out in sort of that sea of sameness. Our values will define that purpose. Our values are defining that mission and that vision. And are we going to roll those out consciously? Or are we going to let them unconsciously become some identity that we do not actually have any intention and creation over? I choose to make them intentional and I choose to create them. Shared values help engage the employees and the customers. They act as a compass to keep us on course. Most importantly, though, and why I believe a values-based relationship organization is the key to success, is that values are the gateway to trust. And trust is the most valuable asset we have in any meaningful relationship. And so when I set out to create the Sun Company, I set out to create a company that was based on values for all of those reasons. And I give it equal importance to our products, to our service, to our customers, to our employees, that essence of who we are, those values are equally important as all of those other aspects of a successful organization.
1: I love how you frame that. And so when you're thinking about the essence and you're and you're really crafting it with that in mind, did you have any aha moments as you were thinking about the essence of the Sun Company? Or did you know going in, because obviously you've, you've been down this road with other companies, you've, you've thought a lot about it, but were, were there any new insights or new sort of aha moments that you had as you were beginning to really think about the essence of the Sun Company?
0: So again, there's two components to this. There's the real practical side of being a values-based organization, which studies show that they outperform low-trust organizations by almost 300%. They create loyalty customers versus repeat buyers. So if you understand the distinction there, a loyalty buyer will buy from you even when another company has a product similar to yours that they might be able to get for a better price, they're loyal to you. Values-based organizations create loyal customers, not just repeat customers. And I could go on with statistics on values-based organizations and performance. So there's that practical aspect of it. But there's also, again, this other part of it, these intangible reasons or these aha moments in creating a values-based organization. And for me, it goes back to um, that sort of humanity piece and that the one of the primary values, and this is something that influenced me many years ago, is the idea that everybody makes decisions based on what they value, as I mentioned earlier, but their values are based on what they believe. And what they believe, Is based on a whole host of things that they've either chosen to identify and believe over the years, or they've made themselves aware consciously and made a conscious choice as to what they believe. And so, in that decision tree of what they believe and what they value, and then that flows into their decision making process, every decision by every person is made through the lens of love and trust or fear and doubt. So if you can connect with somebody and create an organization where they feel that that love and trust, they are capable of performing at a level that they've never been able to before, because in most environments on some sort of scale, they're dealing with people that are most often making decisions out of fear and doubt.
1: What a powerful insight. How do you create that? I mean, let's, let's really dig in here. So love and trust versus fear and doubt is, is the concept. It makes a ton of sense hearing you say it. How do you, how do you actually execute and provide that kind of environment where people really, really and genuinely do feel love and really do genuinely trust the organization that they're a part of? First and
0: foremost, what I think you have to do To create that love and trust in your organization is you have to walk the walk. You have to be able to do that yourself. You have to lead by example 100% of the time. And people, it's not something that you can tell people. I mean, you can have this wonderful vision statement. You can have this wonderful mission statement. You can have these values, but you have to live them. You have to thread everything that you do and say back through them. They have to see it. They have to feel it. It has to be real. I told you I was from the Midwest at the beginning of the call. The nickname for the state I'm from is called the show me state. I believe you have to show people the reality of what you're communicating. And it's ultimately leading by example. And they begin to feel it. It becomes something that they connect to. And when they feel it and they connect to it, it opens up a whole new world to them.
1: But yeah, that makes, a, that makes a ton of sense. So if I'm hearing you correctly, you need to show it. But how do you show you it? Like In what it. ways do you show it? In what ways do you allow that, that love and that trust to be shown? Like How do you actually do that?
0: So I think a lot of it comes down to communication in, in a lot of ways, whether we're behaving in love and trust or whether we're behaving in fear and doubt, which opens up the opportunity for them to do the same.
1: Love that. I'm curious about how you actually share the values with your team members, with the employees of your company. How how do you go about making it more visible? Obviously, you're showing it and that that's that's part of it, but is it something that you also make a point as you're either onboarding people or bring them into the company or oh, yeah. regular like how how regularly do you remind them of what the values are?
0: Yeah. The values are something that we talk about from the interview process, through the onboarding process, through everyday meetings. So I can tell you as a team, we have a format to our meetings that include instilling our values throughout those meetings. It starts out with something like, what are you grateful for today? Or what value in the Sun Company has been resonating with you since our last call and why? what happened, what did you participate in on the job real time that you were able to tie back to one of the Sun Company values. So we do these on every call that we have. We are constantly threading every business objective we have back through the values in a conscious way. And and we verbalize that to one another amongst our teams.
1: Yeah, and I, I remember when you were a manager leading a team at in Solar City before you were promoted to be the national sales director. You did that. What are you grateful for as a, as a part of every meeting that you started? And I just thought that was so powerful because we often forget just how fortunate we are. And I don't care who you are, there's always going to be something that you can be grateful for. Just the sheer fact that you're a human being. I mean. 400 trillion to one odds of you becoming a human being, you should be pretty grateful for that. And and yet we often find ourselves looking at all of the negative reasons that we aren't grateful instead of looking at all the reasons that we really should be grateful. So I think that's a powerful message and a powerful insight. When did you realize that that is something that should be part of your DNA, both in the company you're in, but also in how you lead your life.
0: I can't tell you exactly when. I can tell you over the years, I've always been a person that, I'm an optimist by nature anyway, but I've just always been a person that, that saw myself as the creator of my future. And I felt so fortunate to have that opportunity And that lens always would help me see myself in a way to recognize the gratitude in everything. I'm also a very spiritual person, and my beliefs about why I'm here on the earth and all of those inform that immense gratitude that I hold. But to bring it back to a real practical application of how do you help people in your organizations align with love and trust over fear and doubt When you ask them what they're grateful for, it's not so much, you know, because a lot of them, especially in the beginning of doing that exercise, are just scrambling to think of anything, something they could just say amongst the group. But what they learn in that space is when they hear other people talk about how grateful they are that their son is feeling better because he had been really sick or that they feel very fortunate that their spouse, they just made it to their 30th anniversary or all of these amazing things that people find to be grateful for there's a connection that occurs in those moments it fuses those people together in a way that i've uh, i've been un- able to duplicate through some other trials in trying to build great teams that gratitude sharing allows people to fuse together in a very powerful way and it allows them to feel safe and it's just a really powerful tool.
1: Wow, that, that's fascinating because I think there's there's kind of potentially two things that happen as a result. One is there's this feeling of relatability to those people that they're hearing from. And two, it also could provide perspective. So you, you, you may hear somebody have an issue where you're like, wow, I guess I shouldn't be as down as I am considering what I'm pissed off about is nowhere near as bad as this person whose spouse has, you know, got cancer or whatever it may be. Sometimes perspective helps us really evaluate what we should be grateful for because we're now getting more visibility into what others are going through. And 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 some there's pain in life. And I think um, that exercise really unearths that
0: well and I like the fact that perspective changes your mind and your mind changes your experience. And ultimately, that's what they begin to learn throughout that process. And as they go through it with a team, they bond and connect and fuse together, as I mentioned.
1: You just shared that spirituality is very important to you. If you're comfortable sharing, why don't you talk to me a little bit about why it's important to you and how you how you use your spirituality in your everyday life, including as a CEO of a company?
0: Yeah. So again, I go back to when I talked about An entity like a corporation having an essence and a physical form—that's how I see a human. They have an essence and they have a physical form, and I I give those parts equal importance. I think a lot of times, whether we're in a corporation or we're looking at ourselves from an individual perspective, we often give too much weight to the physical aspect of our lives, and so I try to balance those. Whether it's for me personally or whether it's for my businesses. I try to give those two core components to everything, equal value and equal time. And so maintaining, growing, learning about myself and that essence of who I am and nurturing that is an extremely important process to me. And I do that daily. I do that daily through meditation, meditation. And reading. I have a routine that I follow every day, pretty much my life for many, many years, where I get up, I do some exercise, and then I spend about an hour um, reading and in meditation in more of a spiritual type of reading, not business type reading or anything like that, but more dedicating time and effort and energy to the attunement of my essence.
1: I love it. So how long have you practiced this? And Meditations for those that don't do it and even those that do <laughs> do it, I, I think it's kind of a very misunderstood thing to do, frankly. And and I think, you know, some people have certain misconceptions about it and I think others may not really recognize the value in it. So I'm curious how you were first exposed to meditation and you know, what you thought before you did it and then now that you've been doing it, you know, how it helps you on a daily basis.
0: Yeah. So a couple of things. I've always found growth in reading. So books have been my mentor. They've guided me. They've collected me and helped me keep going in times of difficulty. They've just been a really pivotal component of my life. Reading has been a pivotal component of my life. And so that that habit or that ritual of reading in the mornings is something that I've done for probably twenty plus years. It just became something that I recognized very early on as being a way for me to again attune that essence um, and set myself on a path each day to align that essence with the, my physical being to be the most value and and to give back in the greatest way that I could, and so. I find that for me, I have to center myself on a regular basis. And that if I don't do that, then I'm not always giving back in the way that I want to. And so that's been a habit for a long time. I started getting exposed to meditation probably, I don't know, 15 years ago, maybe. Um, looked into a bunch of different types of meditation, transcendental meditation. And I didn't really find any structured form of meditation to benefit me that much. There's too much thinking that would occur in trying not to think that um, it just wasn't the right fit for me. But what I realized along the way is each day after I'm done reading, I do some writing. And then after I do the writing is when I take the quiet time the time to allow everything to move through me, to process, to visualize, and to let go of. And it's just my own personal Jolie meditation. It's not anything that anybody, you know, it's not anything formal that you can go buy in a book. It's just the way that I have found that works for me.
1: Yeah. And I think it is very personal. And I love that you highlight that because it doesn't have to be something that isn't right for you, and the key words that I took from what you said is the quiet time,
0: yeah. because
1: what you're doing is your first reading and you're, you're you're growing and you're enriching your life through learning after you've learned, you then write, which helps perhaps I'm guessing memorialize in some sense what you've learned, and even if it's not directly related to what you just learned, it's something that has in some way, shape, or form, been inspired by either your experiences the day before or the reading that you just had that you just did. But then you allow yourself to really clear your mind and get yourself centered and set up for the day. And so this is a ritual you've been doing for quite some time. It seems to me that it it's been working. Was it hard to get to a point where it is today, or is it something that over time got it to this exact place or has it always been this way since you've been tempting to have this ritual?
0: Well, it's something that I love. So it wasn't, you know, I wouldn't use the word hard. However, life has a tendency to get in the way and I have five children as you know, and a lot of responsibilities. And so there's always something tugging on you and trying to, to take your time, but I've always been an early riser. And so I've really allocated that early time to this practice. And so, yes, of course, there are times when it's interrupted. But for the most part, I'm able to stay with it consistently. And it isn't a challenge because it's just something that brings so much value to my life. And it's it's kind of, you know, I take it like showering or <laughs> washing your clothes. It's just, it's something that adds a lot of value that I'm going to continue to
1: do. <laughs> right. That makes sense. So you're, 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 not feeling like it's a chore, but it's actually enriching no, your life, it's a core part of your life. It's it's almost like a, a ritual as regular as your own bathing. Yeah, you're going to read, you're going to write, yeah. you're going to meditate, and, and you do this on no. a daily basis. So no. that's a tremendous insight that you've had, that you need this, and that it's such an important part of your life. And life's full of those moments. Wondering what, as you look back and reflect on your life, of course, the the intention of this show is to discuss insights. So wondering if you could reflect and think of any insights that have happened in your life that have helped propel you in your career or make you the human being that you are today. Do any stand out that are like, wow, this is an aha moment that played a pivotal role in who I am today?
0: Well, I think, as I mentioned earlier, reading has always been a key component of my life. And so at different times when I've learned new things, that have really shaped my life, I've had those aha moments. I think the lens that I view life has come through a lot of that education and a lot of those learnings over the years. And I think it's this idea of this essence and this physical form, again, in all things that we talk about. And I think that's a very powerful lens of which to view life. I think for me, I recognized in my 20s that I had to answer some of those big questions of life for myself in order to, again, I always go back to sort of the same language of to to be able to offer and serve in the way that I wanted to. What I really mean by that is sort of the optimization of me as a human being, right? I wanted to be the best version of myself and give that best version back to the world because that's why I believed I was here. And so I couldn't do that if I didn't answer those big questions. And one of the reasons why I wanted to answer those big questions for myself was because I saw so much suffering. I had gone through a lot of suffering, and I saw so much suffering in the world. And I was able to trace that suffering back to this lack of acknowledgement and understanding that there's an essence, and there's a physical form, and what is the purpose, and why are we here? And I needed to answer those questions for myself so that I could take that and serve and bring that lens into the world and be the example from which that lens is shown and allow other people to have the opportunity to, to see what I had seen.
1: Yeah, pain and suffering are powerful emotional catalysts for who we are and, and our own development. And let's face it, yep. we we are who we are because of all of our experiences cumulatively and not least of which are some of the most painful experiences provide the, the most direction in, in who we are, both because we learn and also grow and, and change as a result of, of the events that happen in our life. You know, you, you talk about your life and you've had suffering. We all have it to some degree. Can you think of specific catalysts in your life? That act as moments in time that as you look back and you just say, wow, this was an absolutely critical learning moment that helped me realize whatever. And, and, and I'll leave it very open-ended. And, and if there's anything that stands out, like, hey, this particular life event taught me this, what what would that be that that stands out as you look back and think about, you know, how you've become who you are?
0: Yeah, there's a couple of different events, so to speak. So you know i had a i had an interesting i call it an interesting childhood that's the that's the word i use for it and why i say interesting is because it was a childhood of great tumult and suffering and while at the same time coupled with some really beautiful things and i think if we're able to get perspective in any situation we could probably see that but as you're going through it, it's hard to, to see the beauty that was also a part of those situations. And as they were having their effect on me, and again, I, I wanted to change the world from a young age probably because of all of that suffering that I saw, but I still continued to be a product of that suffering. And what I mean by that is it changes who you are. It changes how your brain is wired. It changes how you think and the decisions that you make. And as I got older, I suffered from some physical ailments like anorexia and bulimia. And I was about, I was 22, 23 years old, and I was suffering through this. And I knew the source of it. I knew where it came from. I I understood it. And the insight that I had in that space was first I said, I have to get help. I said, I want a full, beautiful life. I want to give back. And no matter what's happened to me, but right now I'm broken and I need some help. And so the first thing was that realizing that I needed that help. And after receiving some help and moving through that process, the thing that stood out to me, and it wasn't really anything they taught me in getting help. They really just taught me the practical side of getting help. But after moving through that space and getting help, what I realized the most is that I am the creator of my life. I was the creator that made the powerful choice to get help. I could have easily chosen another direction to be the victim of that and to continue to let that have a, a great impact on my life. But I didn't. I chose to get help. I just said, I want something more. I want something better. I want to heal from what's happened. And in there is so much power to realize That at any point, at any time, at every minute, at every second, you can change the trajectory of your life by understanding that you are the creator and make one decision, and it will head you on a different path. And that probably has been absolutely one of the top three things or insights that I had in my life, that I'm 100% responsible for the direction my life goes. I'm the creator of it. These choices that I make will take me where I need to be.
1: Wow. Unbelievable. So powerful. And thank you for sharing. I got tingles from my toes to my head right now. Just hearing you share so passionately and and so vulnerably, obviously, I know that's very personal. And I think as somebody listens to this, I'm sure there's going to be people that relate, even if it's not that exact same thing that you went through, what they can relate to is your insight and that you can be the victim and you could say the world is out to get you and you could say, woe is me and I am just going to let life happen to me. Or you can be the writer of your own story and dictate what the future holds by understanding that you really do own your destiny and make the decisions necessary for you to achieve whatever it is you want to achieve and be the person that you want to be. And sometimes that means asking for help. Sometimes that means having enough courage to say, I can't do this alone. I need somebody to be by my side. I need somebody to support me and help me through this because it's a lot. And it's not to say that you're incapable of getting through it by yourself, but why would you put yourself even in a more of a challenging position when there are people Around you, who are able to support you, who are able to be by your side, who are able to put the the wind into your sails and help you be the human being that you deserve to be. So, thank you for that powerful insight. So, you said that's one of the top three, and you talked about reading. Is reading in your top three, or is there something else? I'm I'm gonna yeah. while while yeah. we're uh, while we're really kind of talking insights. What else would stand out if you could put something on par or at that level or even beyond that? what What else would there be in that realm?
0: So I just want to circle back to that real quick. A lot of times when you share an insight like that with people, a cynic would say, "Well, oh, you just think everything's going to be rosy now, right? You can create it. And if you say, "I want to be a movie star, I want to be an NBA player." I, you know, you're just going to create that, hon. Huh? And you get that cynic. What you're not saying by, understanding that you're the creator and that you're 100 percent responsible, that your life won't be, won't have challenges, that things still won't come into your life that you have to deal with, that there won't be times of courage and times of asking for help. But what you're saying is that you are empowered. You're ready to take on and you don't take on a victim mentality and you're changing your perspective. And as we talked about earlier, when you change your perspective, you change your mindset. And when you change your mindset, you change the outcome. And when you realize that, you realize all the opportunity that's there for you.
1: Got it. Okay. So you ultimately have this massive responsibility for your life and making sure it it is everything that it, it can be. That's a powerful insight that you have shared. What would stack up to that that would be on par with the importance in, in recognizing the person that you've become today. So
0: another significant insight for me during that time, I think as well, is that people need grace in order to become the best version of themselves. Even the people that do some of the worst things need grace and forgiveness and that by offering them that grace and forgiveness and looking through that lens of love and trust versus fear and doubt. Because when you're not offering them forgiveness, you're just staying stuck in fear and doubt. And so in order to allow yourself and those people an opportunity to live their best life along with you, the opportunity to live yours, that forgiveness and grace is a key element to a successful life.
1: What helped you realize that?
0: I think it's harder in a lot of ways to forgive and to extend grace in times when we've been hurt or abused or mistreated. But what I realized that did is that that kept me stuck. I was forever a person in that particular situation that would be defined by that particular circumstance or if i could apply grace and forgiveness to it it opened me up to be a completely different person with so many opportunities in just that particular space and it opened up those opportunities for that other person as well it's almost like snuffing out a candle right if you Don't give the opportunity for grace and forgiveness. You snuff out the candle without the opportunity of relighting it. When you extend grace and forgiveness, you give the opportunity for the candle to be relit again.
1: Yeah, and and I think for somebody that is in the throes of a traumatic experience or is in a life situation that feels almost like they have no way out, it's very difficult to forgive. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult to show grace because they're in the midst of their own trauma and they're unable in a lot of cases to put their own situation aside and allow themselves to act in a way that would be the way in which you're speaking.
0: What you realize is we're talking about One end of a spectrum, right? Where you've been very hurt or abused or some significant event that could cause some post traumatic stress, something like that. But those are the far end of the spectrum. This applies all the way back to how you interact with your colleagues in a very simple way when they make a mistake on a daily basis in an organization that does have an impact on you and your job and the company and how we move forward but it's the same principle that applies. If you can't apply forgiveness and grace to that coworker, you limit the opportunities of which you both have to move forward in that organization, and you limit the organization's opportunities.
1: Yeah, that's so true. And I, I think you're touching on something that's valuable, which is it's not like every person needs to go through the same level of traumatic experience. It's going to show up in different ways and have different impacts on people. So. And it could be something on a very basic level, the communication or interactions you have at the workplace. At a much deeper level, it could be fundamental health and something that is even much more personal to the individual that it's occurring to. I
0: wanted to say, talking about these insights um, and an, another insight for me as I moved through these understandings, right? And so I began my career in that healthcare world that I mentioned earlier. And as I would interact with people, what became abundantly clear to me very quickly was that people were drawn to the way I looked at the world and to the way I looked at business. And so what I realized in that space is that people were craving somebody to marry the essence with the physical operational practicality of what was happening in the world. And it's still I believe our systems have a spiritual poverty. I believe our economic systems, our corporate systems, they have a spiritual poverty to them. They don't have an essence. They don't have a core. I believe that's why we're seeing the political strife that we see in the world today. I believe that's why we see corporations do the things that they do. I believe that's why you have the highest level of distrust of institutions and corporations that we've ever had is because they don't have the essence to them and so i recognized this early on and what happened how i began to recognize it is people would ask me if i would coach them they would be business owners and i wasn't a coach i was owning my own company and they would ask me to coach them and yes i've done very well at business which is funny because we haven't even talked too much about the actual practical side but i i'm a strategist at heart and i really love the practical side and i think i I try to think that through pretty thoughtfully. And so I knew I could bring that to them. But what I realized that they were really craving is for me to help them marry that essence with that practical side of what they were doing in their business. So I became a certified coach. I felt sort of badly like I was helping these people. I had no credentials. (laughs) I became a certified coach. I became certified in NLP. I did that. And I did that for several years until I just became too busy to keep doing it. It just wasn't possible to do everything. And I wasn't I had no intentions of making a, a future as a coach. It just wasn't necessarily something that I would do. But that was an insight for me. That was a uh, something that brought recognition to something that was really missing in our systems. And it's, it's talking about just these spectrums, right? It can be very personal or it can be very institutional or corporate. It, the same fundamentals apply. And when you can take those fundamentals and teach them to people, And teach them through example and lead by example, and they learn it, sky's the limit. It will change the world.
1: Yeah, I applaud your ability to have the self awareness to recognize a talent that you have, right? And even though you might not have been credentialed as a coach, one, you have the knowledge, two, you have the ability to convey that knowledge in a way that is actionable and understood by the person you're sharing it with. And so, Even though you may not have had all of the credentials to to sort of back up you as a coach, you're still still able to perform as a coach and I'm, I'm sure perform effectively.
0: I loved coaching. I mean, it was wonderful and I appreciate that. I appreciate your sentiments and thoughts. Thank you. But, on the And that show me state, I told you, I'm from the show <laughs> me state. I thought I was going to be a coach. I needed to show somebody yeah. those credentials, right?
1: <laughs> absolutely. and And clearly, there was a hunger and a thirst for it if people yeah. were asking you, and and they're inspired. You're an inspiring person. you You have just this natural gift. And, and I don't know how much you've worked at it. In fact, that was going to be my next question is you have a confidence and an enthusiasm that's infectious because you believe at your core. What you believe, right? It's not fake, it's genuine. You believe in having the value system that you have. You believe in operating in the way in which you operate. You believe in doing things a certain way that are going to help better the planet that we live in. And so, and you won't compromise on any of those things. And so, I'm curious. Since you are operationally wired, it's not that you're just trying to come up with this essence, which in a lot of people's perspective it doesn't it's not tangible they they can't touch it or feel it, therefore it doesn't exist but I think the whole point of an essence is that it doesn't exist and so how do you create that and then once that essence is present, how do you then operationally execute with the essence being? A part of everything that you're doing from an action perspective. So let's let's talk operationally. One thing that stands out in my mind is your belief that you should provide more in value than you take in payment, which I think from a very basic and rudimentary level is a good foundation to build upon. Because if you really take yourself and, and put yourself in the customer's shoes. You want to make sure that whatever service or product you're providing to others, that they feel like they're getting something for the money that they spend on that. And so when did you have that realization that that is an important part of any business that you're aligned with? That's part one of the question. Then part two of the question is, how have you applied that in your own business and in other businesses that you've been a part of?
0: Sure. Sure. So it goes back to this idea of trust and values and fear and doubt versus love and trust. It doesn't just extend to the customer in my mind. It extends to the employee, to the shareholder, to the community at large. We always want to offer more in value than we take in payment. And I just believe that at its core we are all connected. At our core, we're all connected. And so it, it, the, the number, I don't really say that our values have hierarchy in our list of values at the Sun Company, but the value that's listed first in our core values is connectedness. And I, I do think it's a foundational value, which is we're all in this together. And when you provide people what they might consider more in value then you take in payment, you further not establish the trust. The trust is already established because essentially you've taken their payment, right? But you then, throughout that process, are offering more value to reassure them that the decision they've made has been the right decision, that they can rest assured and have confidence in themselves. That the value that betting on this company, that choosing to work with this company, choosing to work for this company, choosing to invest in this company, choosing to allow this company into your community was a wise decision because they continue to serve and serve and serve.
1: When you are looking at developing the trust that you clearly had as a a cornerstone for how you want your company to be understood by the marketplace that there's a level of trust that exists. And then you back that trust up by delivering more in value than you take in payment. And you're reassuring them that they've made the decision. How do you execute from an operational standpoint? What are the areas that you focus on as a business owner, as an executive level person that has a ton of experience that you draw from? What are some of the operational strategies that you deploy to make sure that you're delivering on that?
0: So first we break it down into those subcategories, right, that I've mentioned, the customer, the employee, the community, the vendors, the investors. And we take each one of those and we've created a system where that system is inherently set up to offer more in value right? So we know what the market benchmarks are in all of those categories, right? We know what employees are paid or what benefits they're offered or what's extended out there in our sphere. And we say, how can we, the Sun Company, live up to our values? And this is the exact conversation because remember what I said at the beginning, how you do this is you thread every business objective through a value. And you say, how can we as the Sun Company offer more, in value, more value to these employees? Then we take in payment. How for these customers, we know what's happening in the marketplace. That's how we became a bottom line plus company, right? We coined that term bottom line plus company is because we knew what the value was being offered at out there. And we said, how do we offer more? And so we address it at every level of every partnership, of every connection that we have in the Sun Company, We look at it on a regular basis. We mold it to how we we see as offering more value. We build that into our process and procedure, and then we evaluate that and see if we need to make changes to it.
1: I love that. You've reminded me of a concept that you've talked about before, which I'm fascinated by, which is the concept of value extraction and, and how you have really identified that as something that you want to avoid in terms of your company and the way in which it goes about everything and avoiding, whether that be on the employee level or the customer level or the product level, you want to avoid value extraction. Can you talk a little bit about what that means?
0: Sure. So I believe the essence is missing from our economic systems, from our institutions, from our corporations, from our politics. And what's happened with that missing essence is that we've been defined by survival of the fittest or competition or it's you against me or dog eat dog or zero sum game. I mean, I, we could probably continue to go on and on and find those terms that fit in there. And so what happens in organizations, and I bet you can go back to every organization that you've worked for based on what I'm about to tell you, And you can say, oh, they created significant value. But if you ask yourself, where did they value extract or where did they subtract value in order to gain that value? They value extracted from their employees. They value extracted from their customers or from their shareholders. And so what happened is that value extraction became an acceptable part of society, It became acceptable for me to win at something or to gain value at something that someone else would have to lose. I want to erase that idea from our consciousness. I want to create a society that believes that when you win, I win. And when I win, you win. And that we're in this together and that we're connected. And so I am absolutely adamant that at the Sun Company, any Program, system, our corporate values that we design, that we look at it from every societal level. Culturally, we look at it. We look at it from our employees' perspective. Again, I could go down the list, but you've heard me harp on all that list enough that we're not value extracting in any societal area in order to gain as an organization.
1: And, and it's possible to do, to be win win, right? It's not like you have to win at the expense of someone else losing. You can set up your entire approach and way of conducting business that will allow for you as the business owner and the business generally to win whilst at the same time, the customers win, the vendors win, everyone wins. You just have to put a little bit more thought into your approach. Am I right?
0: You have to put more thought, but you also have to have a tremendous amount of courage because what I've seen over the years is when you've created what you think is a win-win, right? But then there's something about it that, mm, okay, so I, wanted a, I needed an 18% margin on this to meet my numbers, right? But based on the way they need it, we're going to be great partners. We really align, but I'm only going to have a 15% margin. Well, if I go back to them and I just take out one aspect of what I was offering in the beginning, I can probably still meet my 18% margin. Most of the time, companies will choose to create the benefit for themselves if and value extract versus choose to accept the idea that they maybe have to compromise what they originally were after yeah. to create the win-win. And that is where the rubber meets the road and I rarely see it out there.
1: All roads do end up leading back to how profitable can I make this company? And from a revenue standpoint, from a profit standpoint, very rarely are companies willing to compromise or sacrifice or even slightly <laughs> bend when it comes bend. to <laughs> when it comes to the almighty dollar.
0: And that's why the tagline at the Sun company is people power, planet. It's not profit, people, power, (laughs) planet, profit, right? You have to be able to say profit is the byproduct and it will come by doing the right thing, by having operational efficiencies, by having the values that support operational excellence, the profits will come. But if you are led by the profits, you will value extract. And when you value extract, you create this spiritual poverty that exists, which ultimately leads to this distrust, which leads to all the other things we've talked about.
1: Yeah. No. Well, I applaud you for the work that you've put in and and for really not allowing yourself to kind of do what is standard. That takes courage and it takes being a bit non-negotiable with who you are, when I say you, who you are and who your company is and what you stand for and what you believe in. And that kind of non-compromising approach is very rare in business. And so we're nearing our time, but what I'd like to do is just do a quick lightning round of questions. And so I'm going to ask you a question that will put you into a situation or share an emotion and ask you just to give me your immediate initial response. And so the first question is, what excites you?
0: Changing the world. Getting up every day and changing the world isn't, isn't that it isn't
1: that pretty exciting? I love it. Okay, yeah. what scares you?
0: Not changing the world.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's kind of frightening to think where we're at today as a society and a species. And there's a lot writing on our influence. Not when I say you know our, it, it's a collective. We as a species, as a society, as human beings, we have a duty and obligation to leave this planet better than we came into it, and it's a pretty big task, and so let's. Uh, we really do need to work hard to make sure that happens.
0: Absolutely.
1: Okay. What surprises you?
0: Follow through.
1: <laughs> How so?
0: I just think a lot of folks lack follow through out there, so I'm always surprised when people follow through. Still. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, you, you and I have had that conversation. It's probably a topic we could dive into on, <laughs> on our next session. But yeah, no, follow through yeah. is rare these days, and. Often it is surprising when it actually happens.
0: But you know, I trace that back to fear and doubt. You can trace it back almost always to fear and doubt.
1: Hmm. Wow, that's interesting. No, good great yeah. po- great point. If you feel comfortable sharing, when was the last time you cried and why?
0: I cried a little bit, a little bit last Friday. And why? And why? <laughs> um The Sun Company is in the process of seeking its large investment that it needs, the series A investment that it needs. To move forward. And we were presenting to somebody on Friday, and there's just a lot of mixed emotions. Um, I've spent two years growing and incubating this type of organization that, you know, when we talk about what scares us, the world not changing. And I feel the Sun Company is an example. That's what I want it to be, an example of those changes that we need to make. Not only does it offer a product and service that changes the world, but internally, at its essence, at its core, and it's, it's an example of what people crave. What I've mentioned earlier that I recognize people were drawn to is marrying this essence with this efficient, operationally excellent, profitable business, And it's whether it's institutions or individuals. And so... It's been a lot of work to create this and to have that stick that you talked about earlier. And so there's just a lot of emotions that come up at the thought of relinquishing maybe some of the control to people that don't share those values and making sure that I'm making the right decision for all the people that have put the hard work in and making sure that I'm not willing to settle for the bigger picture here. And so there were a few tears shed in the bathroom as I was trying to work through those emotions in the process.
1: Thank you for, for being vulnerable and for sharing. And I, I don't think anyone will question or think that's unusual because <laughs> it, it's no small feat to do what you're doing. What book have you recommended more than any other book and why?
0: The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. And the reason is because I think he, that book gives people practical ways that they can begin to get in touch with marrying the essence with the practicality. I think that's what people struggle with a lot with the essence or the intangible is how do I effectuate it? How do I make it work? And the four agreements gives you just some really easy ways to start bringing that essence into your practical everyday life.
1: Yeah. No, it's great. Great recommendation. Okay. If you could spend an hour with anyone living or dead, who would it be and why?
0: JC Jesus Christ might be the person that I'd like to spend an hour with.
1: Yeah, definitely. I could, I could, I could have dinner with JC. Okay, I'd like to have dinner. (laughs) I love it. If you had the chance, what would you tell your twenty-year-old self?
0: Trust, 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 trust. Great, great advice.
1: Trust. Trust. Do you have any regrets in life? If so, what are they?
0: Um, no, I, I really don't. I mean, there's all sorts of things, of course, that could be on a list of regrets, but. I don't really see the point of regrets. I think everything shapes us into the person that we are and it brings value to our lives. So I don't have any regrets.
1: It's a very common theme. A lot of of people share that. What is the achievement you're most proud of?
0: My family. Love that. Five kids, my amazing husband, the fact that we're living this life together. It's a beautiful creation and I'm extremely proud of that.
1: So, Jolie, we, we've learned a lot about you during this conversation. What may surprise the audience that we haven't yet covered about you?
0: <laughs> I think that's a question for my husband. But I go to bed very early. That's not going to surprise anybody, is it? I think it's all very cliche, what I would say, you know? I don't know that there's any major surprises here once somebody knows me. <laughs> like, hmm. Good question. I don't know.
1: Okay. Well, maybe we'll find it. Huh? I,
0: oh, I know. I know it would surprise people. I walk on a treadmill desk all day long.
1: <laughs> That's I it doesn't surprise me because I know you, but that is See? a a true statement and something that I think a lot of people could learn from. I wish I walked yeah. more as I uh was uh, at my desk instead I'm sitting. So, um Yeah. Uh g- g- maybe uh I some think people would I know. I do
0: have an answer, Billy. What Go ahead. What would surprise people is probably, you know, you mentioned earlier that I'm sort of uncompromising. And I think everybody can be uncompromising when they have the luxury of being uncompromising. I think it would be surprising to people the lengths I'm willing to go to to create what I'm trying to create, the example that I'm trying to be. Because I I fear if people knew, they would think I was crazy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you might be a little crazy, but that's okay. Uh, no one ever said crazy has to be bad. Uh, well, totally. finally, anything else, Jolie? You know, I appreciate the time that you've spent with us. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with the audience? Anything that stands out as we conclude here?
0: Oh, there's a lot more, Billy, that I would love to talk to you about um, about the Sun Company and about what we're doing and about solving societal's problems using innovation and reimagining capitalism. But maybe you'll have me on for another podcast for that one.
1: I would love that, and 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 sooner rather than later. So. It's been absolutely amazing spending this time together. Uh, I know there's been tons of insights that will resonate with the listeners, and I am so grateful to have you in my life, and I really feel that you have just this contagious and infectious energy that is inspiring, uplifting, motivating, and it's clear to me that you are on trajectory to have enormous success with your company. And, and you're doing it the right way, which really matters. And it takes a lot of courage and guts. And to do it that way is something that I think a lot of people should look to as an example of, of how to build a business the right way. Jolie Michelson, thank you for your time today on Insight Out.
0: Thank you, Billy. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Insight Out. I hope you enjoyed the show and I really hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in your career, in your business, or in your life. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate the show on your favorite podcast platform. This is extremely helpful and I can't tell you how much I would appreciate it. Also, if you haven't checked out our website yet, you can find us on the interweb at insightoutshow.com. On the site, you'll find tons of great content, including all of our podcast episodes, videos, blog posts, and the all-important link to support this show through Patreon. If you're not familiar with Patreon, it's an amazing platform that helps creators gain the support they need to continue creating. And remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out.